Well, welcome again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're here today, if it's your first time hanging out with us at Vibrant, if you're watching online today, we're so glad you are with us. If it is your first time, church, can we give them all a big welcome? Come on, let's just welcome them. So glad you're hanging out with us. And I wanna welcome you to our series on the book of Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. How many of you are enjoying this so far? Are you having a good time? I'm having a great time. It's been a great uh, series, and I'm glad you're joining us on this part of it uh, with our, our Labor Day weekend, and, and so glad to see you in the house. So glad you're watching online with us, and we pray for those that are uh, on trips and out of town this weekend that God's mercies and protection would be with them as well. But I am super excited about today, super excited to jump into this series, uh, this next part of this series today. Uh, I really want you to open up your heart this morning as we journey into this. I want you to get your note sheet out. I want you to get ready. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a great time. I wanna just start off this morning by reminding you of something I think is very important, and that is simply that God is in control. Amen, let's go home. <laughs> How many believe that'll preach all by itself right there? Come on. How many believe that God is in control, right? Hey, even when the world falls apart, even when the heavens fall apart, God is in control. Even when your world falls apart, you need to know that God is in control. This book tells us that no matter what hits you and no matter what hits our world, we have a God who is always, always, always in control. Can you say amen? And we're taking a look at some of the, really some of the darkest chapters in the book of Revelation and I really wanna just let you know if you're just joining us in the series, this is a series that was birthed uh, in my heart several months ago just from the whole ca calamity and crisis that we've been in the last several months and it just seems to be getting worse by the day and the tensions seem to be rising by the day and the unrest and all the things that are happening seem to be just growing stronger by the day and believers have been asking, not only me, but I think they're asking other uh, church leaders around the world, you know, are we in the last days? The answer is absolutely 100%. And if you're looking for this to get better, then I got bad news for you. The Bible's very clear that this is not gonna get better. The good news, though, is that we as God's people overcome. Can you say amen? God is gonna be faithful to his people, right? And so we understand that. And I, and I just wanna encourage you, listen, if you don't know Jesus, this world is as good as it's gonna get for you because everything after this is gonna be real bad. But if you know Jesus, let me tell you, this world is as bad as it's gonna get for you, because everything after this is gonna get gooder and gooder, amen, everybody, right? <laughs> so this book, we're looking at some of the darkest chapters in the book of Revelation, because it is the, 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 the prophetic fulfillment, prophetic future of what God has planned for the world. We find it in Revelation, it's a book that people have shied away from, it's a book that people have a hard time getting into because it is rather intriguing, it's rather intrinsic, it's rather confusing at times, and that's why I've been digging into it to see, okay, where is all this stuff in the world going? Where are we in all this? And it's a book that we've been looking through because God simply wanted his people to know this is the future that I'm taking the world to, that I'm taking humanity to. This is not a book of fear. This is a book of faith. 
if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. This is not a book of worry, it's a book of worship, it's a book of hope, because we have something to hope in. Can I get an amen, somebody? But we've been looking in this part of our series through some very, I believe, the darkest chapters of the book of Revelation, but what a great way, what an incredible way to start to recognize what a great God that we have, because it helps us to see the hope that's here, even in the darkness of these chapters we're looking at. Today, we're actually picking up where we left off last week, looking at the fact that God is in control even when life is unfair. And I mean, it's unfair. Life is terribly unfair. Life is horribly unfair, incredibly unfair. But even in the middle of that, God is in control. And so last week, we begin to look at Revelation chapters 14 and 15 and 16, and it's all about God's justice. Everybody say God's justice. It's all about the fact that in the end, because of God's justice, everything will be made right again. But it forces us to ask ourselves the question in our personal lives, in our individual lives, that what do you do when life isn't fair? What do you do when life isn't fair? What do you do in those moments and those circumstances that you experience when life just simply isn't fair? I mean, let's be honest, you don't have to look very far today to see that this life is not fair. How many of you would agree that life is not fair, right? But the good news is that that's not all there is. This is not the end of the story. The book of Revelation tells us the end of the story, and Revelation actually gives us four realities that we hold on to when life is absolutely falling apart in these chapters that we're reading. These are some of the darkest chapters of Revelation, yet they give us some of the brightest hope in the book of Revelation. They remind us that God is, in fact, in control. They remind us that his children will never be forsaken. And so last week, we jumped into this, and we looked at the, the first two of these four events, but just by way of review. You, if you're just joining us online or in the building, we want to catch you up on where we've been. So we talked about these first two, but let's just review it. We talked about the first reality as we saw the lamb leading worship with the 144,000 in heaven, which is was the first fruits or the firstborn of all of us as believers. And we learn from this reality that when life isn't fair, we need to remember that one day our sorrows will be transformed into songs. One day, all of our sorrows are going to be transformed and turned into songs. Come on, what a day that's going to be, somebody. We're going to be able to sing songs from the sorrows that we endured in this earth. That's the first reality. And then we looked at the second fact, the second reality that we can put our hope in, is we also saw, number two, that there were angels that were announcing the truth. In chapter 14, we, we saw this. And what we learned from, from this reality that we saw, this second one, what we learned is that when life isn't fair, we need to remember that one day we will rest from our labor. Those who do not know the Lord will live in eternity without rest. But those of us in Christ, we will see a day when we will rest from the labor of this earth. I'm not talking about resting from the work that we are to do in heaven, but I'm talking about we will rest from the labor of trying to make it in a world that is filled with sin. 
We're going to rest from the labor of dealing with things that are unfair. We're going to rest from the labor of carrying the weight of sorrow and disappointments and hurts and letdowns. The labor of battling personal hangups and sufferings and all the things that break your heart. Come on, is anybody glad today that one day we're going to rest from every bit of it? Amen. We're going to have an eternal rest. And so today, right now, we pick up from where we left off last Sunday, and now we turn the corner to the end of Revelation 14, and we see this third thing that's going to happen at the end of time and that helps you and I when life isn't fair, and that is number three, the harvest that is coming. Everybody say harvest. The harvest. There is a harvest that is coming. So let's pick it up in Revelation 14. We start in verse 14. John says that I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud was someone like the son of man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle, he said, for the time of harvest has come. The crop of the earth is ripe. In fact, Jesus actually told a story to his disciples about this very event. So if you think that this is just some picture that John made up and it's not a real event, just know this is something that Jesus himself talked about as he sat with his disciples and discussed what was going to happen at the end of the age. He was talking about the final harvest and Jesus compared all of humanity to a wheat field. And he started talking about the harvest to his disciples and how humanity was compared to a giant wheat field that the angels would come and begin to reap and begin to harvest out. He also talked in that chapter in Matthew 13 about the wheat and the tares and how they all come up together. That the, weed, the wheat comes up with the weeds, but at the end of time, they will be sorted out by the angels. I want you to see what Jesus then said in Matthew chapter 13. In verse 41, he said, the son of man, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them, watch this, they will throw them into the burning furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. Anybody glad about that? And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. And so Jesus talked about that this wheat field. Now, when I look at a wheat field, it all looks the same to me. <laughs> I look at a wheat field and man, it all looks the same. It just looks like it's 100% wheat. Yet in every wheat field, we understand that there are some wheat and there are some weeds that look just like the wheat. And because we're not experts, we can't tell the difference. An expert farmer can tell the difference, but we cannot. Jesus is saying in this story, at the end of time, there will come a harvest time, and he's telling us, I am the harvester. Now, there's something implied here that I think is very, very important to our, our, our lives today. Notice he says, he is the harvester. We are not. Understand, God has not called us to look around and decide how the harvest at the end of the age is going to be done. In other words, we don't get to pick and choose who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. 
right? We don't have the right to judge the eternal destiny of anyone. Why? Because we ain't the harvester. That's Jesus' job. That's not our job. Now, I know we live in a time where there's certain religious, legalistic people who so-called Christians who like to walk around and stick their judgmental nose up to everybody they meet, and they want to judge people's eternal destination based on their outward issues or their struggles, and meanwhile, they have no idea they're creeping into a very intimate place where Jesus said, you are not to enter, you are not the harvester, I'm the harvester. You look at what's on the outside of a man, but I look at his heart. And how many believe only God knows the heart? You, we cannot, we cannot judge the eternal destiny of anybody. That's God's choice and his prerogative alone. Because listen, if we try to judge with everybody we meet, not just whether they're a believer or not, not just whether we should share Jesus with them or not, but to judge whether they're lost or saved or whether they're gonna go into heaven or whether they're gonna go into hell, if we try to decide that for ourselves, how many of you know we're gonna screw it all up? We will definitely get it wrong. Jesus said, the problem with that is when you try to pull up the weeds on your own because you don't know the difference, you're gonna yank some weed out with it. You ever find yourself doing that? <laughs> you walk through your office and, or you walk through your school or you walk through your family and you're, you're looking at people going, that's definitely a, a wheat. They're amazing. Them? No, that's a weed. No, they're, they're a weed. Oh, no, this person, oh, no, no, they're definitely a weed. They ain't gonna make it. They're going to hell on a silver bullet with gasoline draws on. <laughs> that person right there, right? Come on, we've all done that sometimes, haven't we? But Jesus said, you and I are not the judge of anybody's eternal destiny. I really believe when we get to heaven, we're gonna be shocked at who's there. Right. Who we thought wasn't gonna make it. And I think we're going to be shocked at who didn't make it that we thought was going to make it. So then if that's not our job, if our job is not to decide and judge and to harvest, then what is our job? Watch this. Our job is to be witnesses so everybody gets the opportunity to become a wheat and to spend eternity with him forever. Can you say amen? amen. Now notice that there are two harvests that are actually talked about here in Revelation 14. In verses 14 and 15, it talks about harvesting a crop, but it also talks about uh, Jesus actually compared to that to be a wheat field. So we understand that there's a first harvest, like a wheat, like a, like a crop. But then in verse 17, John says this, after that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel who had the power to destroy with fire, he came from the altar and he shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth for they are ripe for judgment. So you have this reaping of wheat and you have this reaping of grapes. There's two pictures there. Understand, in this final reaping, both of those pictures point to the very same thing, and this is what I want you to write down in your notes. They both point to God's certain judgment. That's what they, they're about. These are harvests that point to the judgment that is certain, the certain judgment of God. It is certain that at the end of time, God will judge. 
Hear me clearly. Right now, as we sit in this room, as you're watching online, the world all around us is ripening for this coming harvest of judgment. It is ripening every day. And God won't, God, God's not gonna harvest the earth too soon. Oh, no, no, no. He's gonna give full opportunity for everyone to either come to him or to choose against him. And then one day, there will come this great harvesting, the word of God says. And in this harvest, there are those who do not know him. There are gonna be, the, in the harvest, there are gonna be those who are not believers. There are gonna be those who did not choose him. And in verse 19 through 20, John said, so the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great wine press of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the wine press outside the city. I think this is one of the most shocking pictures in the entire book of Revelation right here. The, the grapes were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed from the wine press in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Now, the question that we look at this and we ask in our hearts sometimes is, is this fair? We're talking about when life is not fair. Is this fair? Will everyone get a chance to hear Will everyone's life be carefully examined? Is this fair? You see, when I or you or anyone begins to ask, is this fair? Don't miss this. Ultimately, it comes down to a question of trust. Whether we're asking, you know, is the final judgment fair? Or are God's judgments in the Old Testament fair? Or are God's judgments in our lives today fair? Or is God, is what God allows us to go through in our lives today, is it fair? All of those questions come down to one thing, and that is, can I trust God? All of those questions that you hear people ask about eternity, and you hear it in your workplace, you hear it in other places, and people ask questions, well, is God gonna save all those who never got a chance to hear about him through all the centuries? Well, is God gonna save the children who never got to hear about him? Well, what about those who never heard the name of Jesus? And all these people have all these different questions. It all comes down to one question, listen to me. Do you believe that you can trust God? Because the minute you believe that you can trust God, listen, you can leave all those questions with him. I'm telling you, the most liberating thing that can happen in your heart is when you come to the place where you believe that you can trust God. As for me, I can trust God to take care of the children who died before having the opportunity to come to know Jesus. I trust him to do the right thing. Do you trust him? I can trust him with those who may not have heard, had the chance to hear the gospel message from a human voice. I can trust that somehow he communicated to, to them. Can you trust him? It always comes down to that question. And so when you hear someone in your office or in your family or in your friendships asking these kinds of questions, well, well how's God gonna treat this kind of people? And, and what, well, why would God do that to this kind of people? And, and why is Jesus the only way? In the end, it really comes down to a question of trust. Do you really trust him? Listen, if this world that's all around us is all that's there, if this is all that was there, then the answer would be no. I don't trust him. Why? Because this world is an unfair place. 
It's terribly unfair. Oh, but friend, aren't you glad that this world is not all there is? And what we see now is not going to be in the end. Amen, everybody. The book of Revelation tells us clearly that this is not all there is. And man, when, when the hope of the future that's coming, when that hits you, you realize that man, God can be trusted. He can be trusted. He can be trusted to make the right plan. God can be trusted to do the right thing. God can be trust, trusted to deal justly. God can, I mean, believe God can be trusted to keep his promises. Amen? I forget what movie line this is from, but it's a famous movie line. It's from a long time ago. And don't get all religious on me when I say it. Just hang with me. But it's a popular movie line that says, I'm mad as hell. I ain't gonna take it no more. I forget what movie it is. Listen, if all you have to look at is this world, that's exactly how you're gonna feel. If all you have to look at is, the, is what's happening around us, that's exactly how you're gonna feel. I'm as mad as hell, literally, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. But that's not all that I see. That's not all that you see as believers when we look at this world. We don't just look at the world that's around us. We have a different viewpoint. We see what God's going to do in the future. We see what God's going to do in eternity. And instead of saying, I'm mad as hell, as believers, you and I can say, we are made for heaven. And because of that, I can take this as long as God wants me to take it. Because I know that I have a hope and I have a future and I know there is nothing this world can throw at me that can rob me of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I wish somebody would give him some praise today. What an incredible truth that is. Write this down. That when life is unfair, remember one day, God will settle the books. One day, there will be a judgment. One day, there will be a harvest. One day, the books will be settled. So the next time we feel it's not fair, remember, it's not finished. It's not finished. It's not the end of the story. Yes, it's not fair right now, but it's not finished. The harvest hasn't come. The books haven't been settled. Evil that is in this world will one day be destroyed. And those who trust in the Lord one day will be rewarded. Come on, when you think that it's not fair, just remember, baby, it ain't finished yet. God's going to have his way. And so now we turn the corner from chapter 14 to chapter 15 and 16. And we see this fourth truth that you and I can cling to when life isn't fair. And that's the day when number four, write this down. That's the day the bowls of wrath will be poured out. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, this buildup. Remember I told you that between the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowls of wrath, there was this, there's this interlude. There's this kind of intermission that we've been in that John sees in heaven. And chapter 15 is sort of a prelude to the bowls that get poured out in 16, and we're gonna look at it today. But first of all, I, wanna, I want us to look at, at Revelation uh, 
as we turn into chapter 15, I want us to look at verses one through four because John says this, he turns, the, the chapter turns and he says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. And they held harps given them by God. And this is important. They sang of God's servant Moses. We're gonna come back to that in just a minute, but just put a pin in that. They sang of God's servant Moses and of the lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just as true as your ways, King of the nations. Who will, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so John sees that before these bowls of wrath are poured out upon the earth, he sees those who are victorious over the beast worshiping in heaven. And in just a moment, we're gonna see seven angels come out of God's temple. Seven angels that come out of God's presence with these seven bowls of wrath. And watch, because these angels that are emerging out of God's presence, they're saying one thing to us who are worshiping around the throne. Before these bowls are poured out, they want us to remember four words. And that is this right here, write it down. That when life is unfair, remember God is in control. He's in control. Even in the chaos that we're gonna see in chapter 16, God is in control. God knows what he's doing. Do you believe that, everybody? Come on, he always has and he always will. And so in, in chapter 15, in verse five through eight, John says, and after this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened, and out of the temple, here they are, they came the seven angels with the seven plagues, and they were dressed in clean, shining linen, and wore gold sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels are completed. So now he's building this up in chapter 15, which is a short chapter. And after that short chapter, then he, he, he sees the angels in chapter 15. They're coming out of the presence of God. They're coming out with the final bowls of wrath, the final wrath of God to be poured upon the earth. And it stops right there and it's getting ready to happen. And now we turn the corner to chapter 16. And this is one of the most devastating chapters in the whole Bible. I want you to lean into it. Even if the, we, you can't see it on the screen, I want you to lean into it and listen to what I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna read a lengthy portion of scripture the 15 verse, first 15 verses of chapter 16. Here we turn the corner, Revelation 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiping its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. 
The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar in heaven respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense, intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over the plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel came out and poured his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony. And here again, they cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. And they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come as a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. And everybody said, amen. The seven bowls of wrath. Now we've already looked at the seven seals. We've looked at the seven trumpets. And now we've, we're looking at this, the last seven bowls of wrath. And we've taken a close look at all these judgments that are to come. But here's what I want to show you. And it's in your note sheet, but I want to show it to you because you need to see this in a panoramic view and elevate above it so you can see. I want you to see some things, but I want us to look at it together. I want you to see you have the final conflict. This is how, this is how the judgment of God in Revelation is rolled out. You have the final conflict, then you have final destruction, and then you have final judgment. And I want you to see it progress. You have the white horse of conquest, third of the earth, you have sores. The red horse of war, third of the sea, then the sea is turned to blood. The black horse of famine, third of the rivers, and then the rivers turn to blood. Pale horse of death, a third of the lights, and then fire from the sun. Then you have the martyrs that turns into the plague of locusts that then uh, plunges the kingdom of, uh, of evil into darkness. Then you have earthquakes a third of men die, and then the Euphrates River drives up. Then you have the seventh seal, which is the seven trumpets. In the final destruction, you have the seven trumpet that turns into the seven bowls. And in the final judgment, you have a final earthquake that we're going to get into, and then everything is done. And I want you to see this in a panoramic view, and I want you to notice four things about these bowls. Are y'all with me so far? Four things I want you to notice about these bowls of wrath. Write these down in your notes. The first thing is this. I want you to notice the way God's judgments intensify. 
Notice how it goes from the seven seals to the seven trumpets to the seven bowls. You see, when you get this panoramic view, it's not too hard to see how things intensify. You go back to the chart and look, what, look, look how it intensifies. It goes, from, it goes from the first, it's part of the earth, then it's a third of the earth, and then it's all the earth that faces the judgments. First, it's a warning of judgment, then it's partial judgment, and then it's full judgment. So notice how God's judgments are intensifying. Why? To give people the opportunity to see him and to repent and to come to him. Understand, the world doesn't fall apart in one day during the tribulation. It's incremental judgment that intensifies with every step. And with every judgment, it's gonna be evident to all that this world is not something you wanna cling to. Yet what will people do when it becomes evident to everyone that this world is not something to hold on to? What will people do? We're gonna, we're gonna look at it in just a moment. But first, there's something else I want you to notice about these bowls, and that is this. Notice the parallels to the plagues of Egypt. This is fascinating. You remember the 10 plagues of Egypt, right? Um, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Making sure y'all still with me, all right? 10 plagues of Egypt, you know, the 10 plagues, the plagues, that there was the plague of blood, the plague of frogs and gnats and flies. Then there was the death of livestock and then there was boils and then there was hail and there was locusts and then darkness and then finally the death of the firstborn. You saw the plagues intensify just like we see with these judgments here. And so I wanna highlight for you the ones that we do see reflected in the very same judgment here at the end that we're looking at right now. And if we went back and looked at the chart, you would see it very clearly. In the same, in the same judgments, you see reflected the same judgments that were released upon Egypt. You see blood, you see the frogs, we talk, I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. You, you see flies, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then ultimately death. Why does God do this? Listen, why are they the same as that of Egypt? I find it completely fascinating that before these judgments happen, listen, God makes sure that we don't miss this point in his word because he said before the bowls were released, what did he say? I told you to put a pen in. He said, they sang the song of Moses. Interesting. Don't you think God's trying to get our attention in that? I mean, is God boring? Can he not come up with any new judgment ideas? I mean, wow, God, why are you repeating old stuff, you know? Why? Is, is it because God's boring? Absolutely not. Listen, God's not boring. God is faithful. He's faithful. The difference is, in the Old Testament, many of these same judgments took place in limited capacity on one country that was oppressing God's people. But these very same judgments that take place at the end of time, they take place in a universal capacity all over the earth because the world is oppressing the people of God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so what was God doing in the Old Testament with Egypt? Listen to me, don't miss this. God was foreshadowing in the Old Testament with Egypt exactly what he was gonna do at the end of time. Why? Because he's faithful. 
I'm telling you, the more you read the word of God, the more truth you begin to find in it. The more you begin to see how God's plan ties together down through the ages, the more you see what a creative and incredible God that we have. The point is this, God is consistent. Whether, I don't care if the nation is named Egypt, I don't care if the nation is named Babylon, and we're gonna talk about that next week. I don't care what the nation is called. I don't care if the name of the nation is Rome, or China, or Russia, or, or, or Iran. I don't care if the name of the nation is America. God is faithful, and God is consistent. I want you to notice something else about these bowls of wrath. Last thing I want you to notice is this. Well, not the last thing. Yes, it is. The, no, no, it's not the last thing. The, dif the difference between the natural consequences. Notice the difference between the natural consequences of sin and the final judgment of God. I want you to notice this. There is a big difference between the natural consequences of sin and the final judgment of God. Two very different things. You and I every day face natural consequences of sin in our lives. Some of the consequences of sin that we face are because other people have sinned and it hurts us. The fact is we live in an imperfect world. We live in a sinful world. Our lives are not perfect. Sometimes things affect us that we had nothing to do with. But some of the consequences we face is because we have sinned. There have been bad things that have happened in my life because I've sinned. It's the natural consequence of sin. You need to know that built into every sin is its own consequence. So when you take a bite out of it, you will reap what you sow. Now understand, that's different. Natural consequences of sin. That's different from God's final judgment. Because you and I both know, as believers, if we don't sin in that area, then there won't be those natural consequences anymore. We understand that. But this is, so, this is, this, this is totally different. This is something that's going to happen no matter what. There's nothing we can do to alter it. Because this is where the world is headed. It's not as if we can say, well, if we all decided just to be a little better and be a little more good and get along, then none of this would ever happen. No, no, no. God has already told us that the, in the future, it is certain and it is irreversible that he is going to judge. There is a final judgment. Now, does that mean that I should sit back and say, well, man, then what's the point in being better at all if things are just going to be bad in the end? Of course not. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the side that wins. I am on the side that wins. Hallelujah. And I want to enjoy that for all of eternity. How about you? So understand, there's the natural consequences of sin that you and I face in our lives today because I do the wrong thing or someone around me does the wrong thing and because of that, I can face pain or hurt in my physical life. But don't confuse that with the direct and final personal judgment of God that is to come. You gotta understand, God has set the whole world up in such a way that when I do wrong, I'm gonna face the consequences for that, whether I break a physical law or whether I break a moral law. But in the end of time, I promise you, we will know God's judgment when it comes. At the end of time, there will be no question. 
There'll be no question. It will be evident to all that God is doing this. There'll be no one else to point to. There'll be nothing else to think of. They will all know who it is that's doing it. When all this begins to happen that we looked at in this chart, when all this stuff happens in the earth, nobody in the earth is going to say, that's uh, uh, climate change. Don't even get me started. Well, that's because there's carbon munitions. That's what happened with the sea turning to blood. See, I told you, I told you global warming, the sun fried everybody. Told you. That's not going to happen. Everyone in the earth is going to know that it is God. They are going to know. And at that time, listen to me, at that time, when the curtain is pulled back and the whole world will see God as a just God and they will see that this world is an unjust place and the reason why all these things are happening in our world. When they, they're gonna see all of that and I want you to notice, the last thing I want you to, is when the world sees it and the curtain is pulled back and they know that, what is their response? Here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that their response is, oh, come on. Right up to the end, men will battle God. Fascinating. As you read through those plagues and you start to get to the end, there is a name of a place in, in verses 14 through 16, a name that I'm sure you've heard before, and I wanna show it to you. It says, then they gathered the kings together to the place that Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. I love this. Jesus on the cross purchased our salvation by crying, it is finished. The son of God cried, it is finished. But in the end, Father God is gonna say, it is done. Everything that I purposed is now complete. God's wrath is finished. But notice, there's still some who fight against him. In fact, if you looked at this, at this verse 16 in the New Living Translation, it actually says this, and the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Talks about these uh, miracle-working demons. Translation that we read earlier was that it compares them to frogs. These, these frogs that are pictured in this chapter that cause all the rulers of the world to gather for battle against the Lord. The Bible says on that great judgment day of God Almighty, and it's going to happen here in Armageddon. Now, this place called Armageddon, there's lots of theories out there about what kind of place this is going to be. There's lots of theories about how and when this is gonna happen. There's lots of theories about what exact nations are going to be involved in it. As we've been studying through the book of Revelation, one of the things that we've discovered is there are lots and lots of theories. And every, all those theories, and, and if all those theories change with every succeeding generation, and the theories even change in our generation depending on what governments are in power in the world, listen, People are just guessing. Yeah. 
So we're not dealing here. This isn't one of those areas of, uh, of interpretation and revelation, prophetic interpretation, prophetic revelation. This is an area of prophetic speculation. It's an area of prophetic guessing about what this battle could be and what it could mean. But listen, listen to me. With all the guessing and with all the speculation that can be done, don't let it make you miss the fact that this event is going to happen. It's going to happen. And don't miss the fact of who is in this battle. Who is fighting against who? The Bible says this is a battle where man is fighting against God. So right up until the end, people are still battling against God. Right up until the end, people are still battling against God, thinking somehow that they can win. I mean, isn't that crazy? That God, with just a thought of his mind, could just destroy everything, and people literally are gonna fight him thinking they can win. Have you ever battled God? And you thought you could win? I mean, we've all, come on. Even as believers, we've, we've sometimes battled against God, you know, thinking we can win or get an edge or whatever somehow that we can win. And right up into the end, people are going to be doing that. And so how do people respond? How does humanity in this moment respond? How do people respond to the bowls and the trumpets and the seals and all of this torment and hell that is being unleashed upon the earth. For much of the world, watch, they respond the same way Pharaoh responded in Egypt. That the worse it gets, the more they harden their hearts toward him. The very same thing is going to happen in the end. In fact, we read in chapter 16 that they cursed the name of God. They could have turned to him. They could have turned to him and he would have saved them. But instead, what happens in verse nine, we see that they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. That's verse nine. And then in verse 11, the same thing. They cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Remember when you were a kid and you touched the hot stove? And your parents told you, don't touch the hot stove. But you went ahead, you touched it anyway, and it burned. And then you decided with great supernatural wisdom that you were never going to do that again. Right? Listen, God has done this exact same thing for us. A lot of what scripture is, is God giving warnings and saying, don't do this. Don't do that. There's a better way. I have something else. Don't go there. Don't touch that. Don't do, don't engage. Don't, don't do that. Why? Because he cares about us. Because he loves us. He doesn't want us to get burned. These verses are telling us that right up into the end, men battle against God. Now let's be honest. We've all touched the hot stove of sin. Every single one of us. And we've all gotten burned by sin, every single one of us. But aren't you glad this morning that God offers healing and forgiveness and grace and mercy and restoration and redemption to all of us? But here's what's extremely sad, and this is what's heartbreaking, is there are so many, there are so many people 
who touched that hot stove and it burns. And God says, hey, don't touch that hot stove. And they look in the face of God and said, who are you to tell me what to do? I'll touch whatever I want to. I'll do whatever I want to do. And they touch it again. And it burns again. And God says, hey, hey, don't, 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 don't touch that hot stove. And they stubbornly and rebelliously say, I'll do what I want to do. I'll run my life the way I want to run my life. And they put their hand on the stove and they leave it there. And they say, I am in control. This is my life. Not thy kingdom come, but my kingdom come. Not your will be done, but my will is going to be done. See, the book of Revelation foretells the greatest tragedies in human history that are to come. And God says that right up into the end, there will be those with their hand on the stove, with all hell breaking loose around them and suffering like you can't imagine. And they're going to keep their hand on the stove anyway and spit into the face of God stubbornly and say, my way. I mean, what does it take? What does it take? All these judgments, all these seals, all these trumpets, all these bowls, all this judgment, all of this wrath that's poured out from God on the world. I mean, if people don't listen to that, what does it take? I'll tell you what it takes. It takes a cross. That's what brings people to Jesus Christ. Look at the cross. Focus on the cross. The most significant event in human history is right there. That and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the hinge point of human history. And listen, what you and I do about that cross changes what happens at the end of time. Either my will will be done or thy will will be done. Either wrath or incredible experience of the grace of God throughout eternity. Listen, if you and I aren't won by the grace of God, we won't be won by anything. You read through Revelation chapter 14, 15, and 16, and no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, these are some very dark chapters. But don't miss the incredible hope. These are not chapters about destruction. These, these seven bowls of wrath, these, they're not about blind destruction that comes upon the world. They're about certain justice. And so I want to give you very quickly two truths to remember in all of this. Are you ready? Say yes. yes. Two truths to remember. First of all, when life is unfair, remember one day evil will be finished. Yes. What? Without a doubt. God says, it is done. One day, evil will certainly and completely be finished. That's the first truth I want you to remember. And here's the second one. Write this down. That when life is unfair, remember, we will overcome. We will overcome. Absolutely, certainly, without a doubt, we will overcome all the injustice of the world, all the unfairness of the world, all the things that you look at in this world and you think, God, why? One day, we're gonna understand all of it. 
One day, Revelation 14, the sealed 144,000 are going to stand on Mount Zion in heaven and praise God for all of eternity. One day, Revelation 15, the martyrs who have lost their lives in the faith in Christ will be standing in glory and they're going to be praising God for all of eternity. And one day, Revelation 16, God's going to judge over evil and it will be finished and it will be done forever. Hey, don't worry about it. Evil will be finished. Hey, don't worry about it. You will overcome. Hey, don't worry about it. This isn't fair, but God is, and you can trust him with your life. Come on, somebody give God some praise. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Come on, we serve a good God. Aren't you glad? It ain't fair, but it ain't over. Come on, it ain't finished yet. It ain't finished yet. God is faithful. He's faithful. Glory to God. He is faithful. He is consistent. He will watch over his people. You got stuff going on in your life right now and it ain't fair. I know it ain't fair right now, but it ain't finished yet. God is working all things together for your good. And just as in the end, he'll be faithful. He'll be faithful to you right now, where you are in your life. Father, I thank you for your word today. Oh, God, there are things in our life right now that seem very unfair. But God, we turn them over to you because we can trust you. We don't need to understand it. We trust you. We know that it's not fair right now, but God, it ain't finished yet. So I choose to trust you. God, I'm gonna remember that you're in control. Even when it seems like my life is out of control, you are in control. Even when I look around this world and watch the news right now and everything seems to be pulling itself apart at the seams, I'm glad today, God, that you are in control. That you hold everything in the palm of your hand. So God, I just pray that you use us as your people to be light in a very dark world. That right now, while humanity's hearts are becoming softened by uncertainty and pain and injustice and crisis and pandemic and unrest. Help us to see the bigger picture, God, that this is the greatest hour for the church. This is the greatest opportunity right now for us to be light in a dark world. God, I thank you that one day the books will be settled. (laughs) I thank you that one day we will rest from our labor. I thank you, God, that one day evil will be finished. I thank you, God, that one day, one day we will overcome in Jesus' name. As you remain in prayer just for one moment, I wanna wanna speak to those of you in this room and those of you watching online. My biggest fear for any of you is that you could be listening to the word of God today, either by 
internet in this building or on the radio. And you could be a weed and not even know it. And you need to know that one day the harvest is coming. And Jesus will release the angels to separate it, the wheat from the weeds. The interesting thing is when you research that, the weeds look just like the wheat. You know what the difference is? The difference is what's in them. If you crack open the stalk of a wheat, you will see the seeds are in there. When you crack open the stalk of a, of a tear or a weed in the wheat, it is hollow. The difference is what's in you. Jesus said one day there will be a separation. I think there's going to be a lot of people on that day that thought they were a wheat. And they're going to be terror, terrifyingly aware that they were a weed and didn't know it. Can I just... Can I just tell you, religion will cause you to believe that you're a wheat when you're really just a weed. Religion will tell you that it's all about your outward appearance. It's all about you looking the part and playing the part and going to church and carrying a Bible and knowing some Christian songs and all about where you go to church and who, what family and Christian values you came in and all that. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're like a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look real pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. That's religion. And sadly, there's going to be many people on the day of harvest that are going to think they made it. And they're going to realize when everything is opened up that there was nothing there. It was dead men's bones. It was all religious trimming. It was all religious activity and no substance. It was no relationship. Oh, my friend, I want you to be a wheat. I don't care about the outside of you. I care about what's inside of you. Is the life of Jesus inside of you? Are you his for real? Or is it just that you got your name on a roll in some church building? Let me tell you something. That ain't going to get you into heaven. The only role that's going to matter in the end is the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is not on that roll, kiss it goodbye. The books will be settled. So very quickly, I want to pray with you. I really feel the Holy Spirit moving in this room and I know he's moving with you watching and listening by radio I'm begging you not to be like Pharaoh right now do not harden your heart to the Spirit of God right now respond to him Jesus said either you fall on the rock and be broken or the rock will fall on you and crush you to powder <laughs> moral of the story Either way, you're going to break. It's a lot easier to humble yourself than to have God have to use life and circumstances to humble you. It's painful. And the fact is, you don't know what you have to look forward to when you leave this building. Those of you watching online, you don't know what awaits you out the front door of your house. 
Don't be the one that has your life snuffed from you from some accident, something happened unexpected and you stand before God and you had this moment and you hardened your heart because the books will be settled. All over this room, heads bowed. I, and I just feel a heaviness of the presence of God in this room. And if that's you this morning and you're not sure that you know, that you know, that you know that you're a wheat, then now's your moment. I want to pray for you. I don't care if you've been in church 20 years. I don't care if you believe in God. I don't care about any of that. Do you have a relationship with him? Has it changed your life? Is he the center of your world? That's all that matters. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, I just want to pray with you right where you sit, right where you're watching online, listening to the radio, just right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, Pastor Jason, get me in on that prayer. I want to know. I want to know that I know. I, I, want, I don't want any uncertainty. I really feel the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart right now. I want you to shoot your hand up in the air right now. Come on, right now, right now, all over this room. Leave them up, leave them up, leave them up, leave them up. All over this room, people say yes to Jesus. It's your time. It's your moment. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. And we're going to pray with you as a church family. All over this room, I want us to pray together. I want you to mean this from your heart. Pray this from your heart. Go on, everyone praying out loud right now. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender all my life completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start and a new beginning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And can we give God the biggest praise that we can right now for people coming to Jesus. Amen. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Now, please, if you just remain seated just for a moment, please. If you just raise your hand and pray that prayer with me, do me a favor. Would you reach into the seat back in front of you? There's a connection card there. I'd love to know who you are. I just want to be praying for you. We want to pray for you as a staff and as leaders. And we just want to celebrate what God has done in your life today. Would you just fill that out? Check the box that applies to you. And you can drop that in one of the containers the ushers are holding on the way out the door. And we just want to, man, make ourselves available to you and maybe share with you some great next steps that we have available here at Vibrant Church to help strengthen your relationship with God. And also, church, I want to thank you. This is that moment of the service that we normally, we freely received. And this is the moment that we freely give to the Lord. And thank you for being so faithful to do that. You can give. If you're watching online, you can participate and partner with us, as many already do, to help continue making a difference, eternal difference in the lives of people. Just yesterday, we had dozens of people here for our big serve day, and we just literally invaded the community in some powerful ways and just reached out in our outreaches and just invaded our city with love and the love of Jesus and the grace of God and ministered to people's needs and to love on our city. Hey, how many believe it's not all about people coming to church? A church needs to go to people. And that's what we did yesterday. And let me tell you, 
you guys made that happen because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness. Thank you for partnering with us to make a difference. You can give different ways. We try to make it easy by giving different opportunities. You can use the envelopes that are in the seat back in front of you if you wanna do that physically today in the building. And you can drop that in one of the containers in the exit ways as you leave. You can give as you go. You can also participate through online. You can go to vibrantchurch.com slash giving and you can give there very secure or you can do what most people do what we our family you can give through text to give you can actually text the word vibrant to 77977 it'll send you a few secure steps it's quick and it's easy and you can partner with us that way again we give multiple opportunities so people can find it easy to partner with us thank you for being faithful thank you church for being faithful especially in the hour that we're in right now I believe this is so critical that we continue to fuel the gospel of Jesus Christ that is changing lives each and every week. Amen, everybody. Hey, would you stand to your feet today? I wanna pray for you before we leave. Man, it's been a great day. Have you enjoyed today, everybody? Have you enjoyed the word of God? Did it encourage you? I hope it encouraged your life. Would you just, would you open up your hands and just receive this from the Lord? I just pray, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.